I'm gonna tell it like it is. I'm gonna I'm gonna be totally vulnerable and honest and real about where I'm at and the things that are going on in my life, and uh, I'm gonna make it part of the film. And and I think that that's why it's it's not like a typical documentary. So uh, so anything you know, like I always say, like that fear, even standing in front of you know a hundred RCMP with attack dogs and machine guns and helicopters, you know there was so much fear. But in that in that moment, standing in that fear. And you know, like it's like that's what warriors do. They it's not that they aren't afraid, it's that they they recognize it and they push through it. They do it anyways. Quay Neem Deluisi Pempometer, and I'm the host of this show, The Warrior Life. I'm a lawyer, professor, author, and activist from Eel River Bar First Nation, whose motto is education for action on indigenous rights, social justice, and protecting the planet. On this podcast, you're going to get an education of a different kind, one that's enriched by the cultures, insights, and experiences of Indigenous activists, land defenders, and water protectors on the ground, as well as Indigenous advocates of all kinds, artists, lawyers, academics, and leaders who are on the front lines of resistance, resurgence, and revitalization. And today's podcast is the first one of our new season, I guess, back in the fall of 2023. In fact, this podcast is number 152. I can hardly believe that we've done that many conversations with the most awesome people in the world. Uh, I'm really excited about this. So stay tuned. One of the most amazing people are going to join us on this podcast. Season opener, podcast number 152, and I can think of no better way to celebrate this monumentous occasion than with the incredible, amazing, someone I look up to, Layla Stotts. Layla is literally making waves everywhere. You know how some people are like one thing, they do maybe two things? Layla is literally everything all at once. I don't even know how to properly describe her. But you can see her on the front lines as a water protector and a land defender. Uh, You can hear her singing in concerts, often with her brother Logan, and that's so cool. They're so incredibly talented as musicians. And now you can watch her again on another new documentary. I, I honestly have no idea how to describe that package except to say that she's a really kick-ass warrior. And I'm so glad that you've joined me on this show. Welcome, Layla. Nyawa, thank you for having me here. Sego, Skeno, Layla Stats, Yongyats, Anuara ni Wagitaro, then Kanyaki Haga ni Wagwenjo, then Oswego ni Wageno. So hello, my name is Layla Stats. I'm Mohawk, Turtle Clan, from the Six Nations of the Grand River. And yeah, I'm pumped. I didn't know this was like a season opener, no pressure or anything, right? Like, (laughs) (laughs) better be awesome. And it's so funny when you talk about like trying to put a name. Like, people always ask me, like, what what title can we give you? And and I don't really know. Like, 
there's so many ways in which my life, you know, like I'm a mom of four amazing kids. I, you know, I just, I'm a musician and an artist and a creator and a teacher and a speaker. And like, it's just, when I think about what I do, as long as I'm making a change, so maybe like change maker. Yeah. Oh, that's such a good one. Because I was thinking, okay, how am I going to introduce her? Are, are you allowed to put 20 words in a row? Are you allowed to say, you know, warrior and land defender and water protector and educator and speaker and artist and musician and like, how many words can I get away with at once? So I'm really glad that you introduced yourself. But I'd love to hear more about your community because not everybody knows how awesome Six Nations of the Grand River Territory is. They have my favorite powwow, I have to say. It's like so massive. But I just love the territory. It's huge. I mean, if I look at my res, all the houses are right together can drive almost a mile in between houses on your reserve. So can you tell us a little bit about your home community and a bit about the Mohawk culture? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, the thing about Six Nations is it's, you think it's really big, but when you look at the original treaties of the Haldeman Treaty and you look at the land that was promised to the Haudenosaunee, it was, you know, six miles each side of that entire Grand River from the source to the mouth. So now we're looking at like a nickel from the dollar. We're at about 5% of what was originally promised uh, and so much development around us. That's one of the things uh, that is challenging is when you're surrounded by development, you're surrounded by cities and you're trying to keep this way of life that's connected to the land and the water. One of the things that on this journey that I really was you know, it was eye opening to me is the, you know, the situations of many reserves around Turtle Island that don't have that space. You know, I remember driving to Grassy Narrows and you drive through, you know, hours of beautiful, pristine crown land. And then you get to this tiny kind of postage stamp of a reserve where houses are side by side. And you're like, how is this? How is this how these people have been forced to live? So, yeah, I'm very fortunate to come from such a, you know, such a great place. So much, so much, so much opportunities, you know, like there's a lot of community engagement that I really love about uh, about our community. But I also have kind of a, a different story with Six Nations. You know, I was not raised out here. I was raised in the city. And as a generational survivor of, of residential schools, my great-grandmother went to the Mohawk Institute. So for me growing up, it was it was almost seen as being, you know, a bad thing. Being Mohawk, like if people found out you were Native, you wouldn't get the job or you would be, you know, the victim of racism. And and my my grandfather, we talk about this in the the new film. He, uh, you know, he really had that that mentality growing up, of you know trying to keep us keep us away from the culture because it had been programmed in them to think it was a bad thing, to think that we would be at a disadvantage. So it was an interesting way to grow up. You never really knew where where you belonged and coming back to the res, you know, coming back to my grandfather's land, building my home out here, living out here with my family. 
you know, I had to face a lot of that, a lot of those fears, those insecurities, those feelings of not being accepted or fitting in or doing the right thing. So I'm really grateful to those in the community that did open their arms, you know, elders that that brought me in to share teachings and ceremonies and help my understanding. And I feel like that was that was critical in my my path down this reclamation road, this red road to take back what had really been taken from me long before I was born. So feeling, you know, that connection of being Mohawk, what it means to be Mohawk, that, you know, that that fierceness, that fearlessness, that warrior blood that's inside of me. Uh, it has over these last two years, especially in making this film, it has been woke. You know, it is it is awake. It is roaring. It is ready to, uh, you know, just to be be who I am meant to be. So I'm really excited to be here. I'm really excited to talk about the film and and everything that has happened over the last two years, because it has been a wild ride. I was just saying to you before that the last time I was here was just a couple of weeks after I was arrested out in Wet'suwet'en. And, uh, you know, just seeing how how even those progresses, those little chapters, those moments where you grow, where you heal, where you evolve, where you step into your truth. And, you know, I, I just I'm hoping that this film is going to inspire people to take that journey, too. Oh, they to they totally will. And, you know, for anyone who's listening or watching this on the YouTube afterwards, you can just tell how much fire and passion and warrior just oozes from you. You don't answer any questions. Just chill like, oh, yeah, my name's Layla. I do this and that. You're like, you literally live and breathe this passion. It's why I love your work and everything you do so, so much because it's really important. And I do, I'll also link to the previous episode where you and your brother Logan and Skylar Williams, the spokesperson for 1492 Landback Lane, was on that episode because it was literally right after. And also 1492 Landback Lane was going on. So that original question when I was like, yeah, so you have such a big res. I'm so glad you jumped right into the Haldeman track because it seems like, you know, not just metaphorically, all of our struggles are the same, but literally the people who were on 1492 Landback Lane, make sure that they're out there in BC sovereign, you know, in solidarity with the sovereign Wet'suwet'en people. So it's just, it was so important. It was so special. And, and I'm, I'm really glad you're here. And I know a lot of people are going to wonder, okay, you have this personal journey, just like I did. So, uh, you know, because of history and everything else, it's like, I'm, I'm growing up off reserve. And then you come back later and, it's it's the people that welcome you, all your aunties and cousins and, and help you really on that journey because our separation had nothing to do with us, like not our fault at all, right? Like this is really colonization in action. So how did you go from this, you know, young girl to a, a young woman with all this, you know, learning and this, you know, heartfelt journey into everything that you do? Like, did you start out and say, well, you know what, I think I'm going to go to music school and study music or someday I want to be a filmmaker and do awesome films. Like how, how did your journey play out that way? Honestly, I never, I never thought I would be, you know, making films or documentaries or any of that. I never thought that I would be 
you know, a musician. I, my whole life, I was kind of programmed into that path of, you know, go to school, get good grades, be a doctor. And so I kind of followed that and gave everything I had into the, into my school. And when I went to university, got into medical science, it was just like something in my heart knew I wasn't meant to be there. Did I make the right choices? No, I started to fall off the track, right? I started to rebel. I started to, uh, you know, I ended up dropping out of school. I ended up going down a very dark path uh, of addiction and alcoholism and partying and, you know, just feeling very lost in my life. And I think that that had a lot to do with, you know, being disconnected from who I was as a Mohawk woman. So it really, uh, you know, I, I, I think those moments when we say, you know, who am I? Who am I? And I feel like my whole life I had let other people tell me who I was. So I remember I was sitting, I, I was sitting in our community center and there was an event going on and I walked to the front of the room at the beginning of the event. And he started saying this, this speech, he started reciting these words in Mohawk. And at this time I had no understanding of Mohawk. I had, I had no understanding of my my culture or practices or protocols or ceremonies. So I just was listening and I was like, I have no idea why he's saying these words. I don't know what they mean, but I know they're important. And something inside this like memory inside of me was like, you need to pay attention to whatever this is. And, and it's often called the Thanksgiving address. Uh, the Ohanda Garuadegua translates to the words before all else. So nothing would ever happen without first acknowledging these words and this connection going through every single element of life and, and our relationship to it. So I started there and I was like, something in me said, Layla, go there, follow that, ask questions, understand it. And I was embarrassed at first, like, what is this? Why don't I know what this is? And I was scared that people would judge me and say, you don't know what the Thanksgiving address is. You never heard it. And well, no, I didn't. I didn't grow up. I didn't go to school out here. I didn't know anything. So, uh, so I, I asked questions anyways. And I think that that's one of the big things in, in my journey is feeling that fear, knowing it's there and doing it anyways. And realizing like these challenges of fear, these moments when you're afraid to do something, those are the ones that that are going to make the biggest impact in your life. So I started to ask questions. I started to get a deeper understanding. And one of the uh, one of the mentors out here, Tom Porter, he said the Thanksgiving address is like the skeleton key that opens up this ancient knowledge. And that's what I started to feel happening. I started to feel this relationship between the water, the trees, the animals, all elements of life and earth as my family. And I started to grow that, that relationship and that connection. And I feel that that was, you know, that was, that, that was within me the whole time, you know, and we have this question of, am I native enough? Am I, you know, am I Mohawk enough? Because I can't fluently speak my language because I don't have an Indian name because all of these things, my quantum blood or whatever, am I Indian enough? And so when I sat with the, that, prayer. And I really, truly put myself into those moments of thank, thanksgiving, those moments of gratitude that my ancestors were so, so adamant that nothing would happen, the words before everything. And I sat there. I, It was like, there is no measurement. I am Mohawk. I feel that. I, it's alive within me. And so it, you know, that pushed me, that propelled me 
And then I got this, this opportunity to make this documentary. And I thought, you know, we're talking about boil water advisories, you know, we're going to go around to different communities and see, see what their stories are. So I thought I would just kind of be like a, a microphone, you know, like asking people their stories and kind of being a host guiding you on this journey. But it, it quickly became very real. And, you know, sitting with these, these people and hearing their stories, having them, you know, open their, their wounds and their, their traumas and their tears and their lives to me, it, it changed me. Every single time I sat down to, to speak with someone, it changed me. And so that started to become very, very apparent in the film. And the more that I, you know, the more that I opened it up and I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to. I'm going to tell it like it is. I'm going to I'm going to be totally vulnerable and honest and real about where I'm at and the things that are going on in my life and uh I'm going to make it part of the film and and I think that that's why it's it's not like a typical documentary. So uh, so anything, you know, like I always say like that fear even standing in front of, you know, 100 RCMP with attack dogs and machine guns and helicopters, you know, there was so much fear, but in that in that moment standing in that fear and, you know, like, it's like, that's what warriors do. They, it's not that they aren't afraid. It's that they, they recognize it and they push through it. They do it anyways. Such an important message. And in all of what you just said, I think about everything that I've heard from Native people on or off reserve. Are they Native enough? Are they, you know, traditional enough? Do they know enough of the language? Do they have the right blood quantum? Do they know the right people? Like there's... The colonial system has us so mixed up that we have the, we all seem to share this insecurity. It's like, uh, am I, am I good enough? Like, what if I make a mistake? Am I judged by my mistakes forever? What, how is this not a normal journey? Like people talk about, you know, when, um, young people start to rebel, so to speak. I once heard an elder tell me like that we all do that in the old days, you know, pre-colonizers. You could send a man out into the woods, you know, a young man out into the woods and they would find their way and they would learn to deal with like all of their inner struggles. We don't have that anymore. So we're left to kind of deal with this all of ourselves. And it's just so powerful what you're talking about. And um, I just really admire how you can be so honest about it. Not everybody wants to be honest about whether or not they have all of these insecurities or all of these questions. You know, we always try to project ourselves the way society expects us to be or even our own family members. So that's really, really powerful. And I know young, a lot of young people will really connect with the things that you're saying. And so my question really is, is what came first? So you're on this journey, you reconnect with your culture. Do you say, you know what, let's, let's start doing music, bro. Let's come on, Logan, let's go start doing music. Or were you into the filmmaking first? Or were you on the front lines first? Or did it all just kind of mishmash happen together? Uh, it definitely happened first with the music. So, you know, kind of trailing along my brother on this on this path of of his music career and being his backup vocals, being the harmonies, being the angel in the background, as he calls me <laughs> and uh, and and going on that path. And then it actually was I remember one of the first shows we talked about this a lot was at a unity jam at Landback Lane, where, uh, you know, several of the people that were there were threatened with being arrested just for playing music. And my brother's like, we got to go there. We're playing music for people, the land offenders. 
And, you know, just seeing people that were willing to commit their entire lives to stand up for something, you know, I was like, of course, I'm going to sing. Of course, we need to sing, like whatever we can do, whatever we can contribute. Uh, And then I, you know, I felt like the, uh, the film side of it, it it just kind of sparked out of this knowing that I had, I had this story going on inside of me. I started working at the Woodland Cultural Center. So I started hosting survivor stories and I would interview survivors of the residential school. And it started to open up this, I guess this exposure to my, my past, my history, my ancestors, and what actually traumas had been passed down to me that I wasn't even aware of. So I started to feel feel the trauma and also heal from the trauma at the same time. And I was like, man, there's there's probably, you know, there's I got to get this out, I, even just for me. And so I ended up getting like this crazy little $5,000 grant to do some kind of art about water. And I was like, well, what what art could I do? I was like, you know what? I'm going to go buy a camera and a drone and I am going to make a little documentary. So I made self-made my first documentary. I did the sound. I did the music. I did the editing. I did the filming. Uh, And it was just mostly just for me, for me to actually put it out there of what I had learned about my history, about my past and where I was going with this. And then I started to realize that it wasn't just my story. As I started to share it and show people, they were like, oh my God, you were, you were telling my story. I could see all of my, you know, my journey in yours as well. And uh, it really sparked this passion, sparked this passion that, you know, we know our ancestors taught lessons through stories. They still do. Go ask, go ask an elder a question and you'll get a story. You'll never get an answer. You have to find it in the story somewhere and actually have the patience to sit down and listen. So I felt like that was a skill that we we needed to reconnect with. We needed to bring, you know, even like our our new technologies of being able to share stories online, being able to be here on YouTube, right? And hear each other, listen to each other, uh, and really go down that path together. And so that really kind of sparked the the love for film. And I started to work with some of the youth. Uh, we went up to Thunder Bay. We did a, a workshop, a, a digital storytelling workshop, where we kind of help them understand their own hero journey, their own hero story, and how, you know, they could make a documentary. If I could do it with a, you know, a laptop and a, a Canon camera, then you could do it too. And it, it makes such a difference. It makes such an impact when we all just openly and honestly can tell our stories. And we, we feel like we have a story. We have a voice that matters. And I think that was one of the big things with these, when I was working with the kids, is seeing them listen to each other's stories and cheer each other on and learn from each other's experiences and deepen their connection just from, you know, working on their own little hero, hero tale. So, uh, so yeah. And then, and then I got uh, an offer to film Boil Alert. And I know there was like a ton of different celebrities and, you know, different indigenous celebrities that were on the table for this, this, uh, this film. And I sat at the table and I said, you know, I'm not a celebrity. Nobody really knows who I am, but I feel like I have a, you know, I have a reason for being here. I have a purpose. There is this connection that I have to the water that is undeniable. Even though like my whole, my whole concept of my first documentary was that my grandfather, 
He didn't teach me my ceremonies. He kind of passed down this code of shame of being Indigenous, but he always told me to protect the water. He dug these ponds, he created these ecosystems, and he would walk them every day. And so even though he wasn't Native enough in some standards, his connection to the land and water was always there, and they couldn't take it away no matter what. So I had this burning desire to like go out and and fulfill what he had told me as a kid is like, you know, protect the water, figure out a way to get clean water. Cause whoever has the clean water at the end of the days, they're going to be the ones that survive and thrive. And, you know, he wanted me to go to school and be a, uh, you know, go for biology and marine biology. But I was just like, maybe that's not the exact path that I took, (laughs) but I'm still protecting the water, Papa, you know, I'm still doing it. So, uh, so yeah, then I, you know, I took I took the I took the opportunity. And at the beginning I had no clue what I was doing. I was very unsure, uncertain. And uh, I just remember sitting down to my first interview. I'm like, this is a complete stranger and I have to create a space for them to to open up to me, to, you know, that I really I really am listening. I really, you know, I'm here with them and it was it pushed me in a lot of ways, you know, because I can be the introvert. I can be the one that's, you know, observing. So to have to go out there and speak to people and ask them questions and get them to talk was uh, was new for me. But it was just, you know, every single face. I remember every single face and every every story, even, you know, some not every single one made it into the film, but uh, but they're here. They're in me. And they 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 add to that fire that just keeps growing. I love it because when you think about filmmaking in general or documentary films, some of the most famous one, I think the best documentary filmmakers are Native people because we're humble enough to be able to sit back and not be the lead or not be controlling everything, to actually just be open to listen and to learn and to hear people tell their story without trying to make their story go in one direction or another. And I just, I love that. So Boil Alert is your new film. And I'm wondering if we can just play a little bit of a teaser clip from that so that people can hear it. And then if you listen to this podcast later on YouTube, obviously you'll see it, but it has such powerful music and voice and the I don't know the the view the picture it's like so picturesque like all of it is very very moving when you put it all together so let's just if I can do this right we'll take a look at it and listen to it and see how it goes I was seen as an outsider coming in to the reserve I was an outsider everywhere they call it the red road when you start to learn about your indigenous culture. Sego Skano, Leila Black Young Gats, Anawara, Niwagi, Daroden, Ganyakehaga. I'm Ganyakehaga. I'm Mohawk. I am Mohawk. My papa always said, whoever has the clean water at the end, they're the ones that are going to thrive. Make sure that you figure out a way to get clean water. I'm looking at boil water advisories and I see every single one First Nations, First Nations, First Nations, First Nations. And I just hear my papa in my head saying, now's the time. Our people need clean water. My hope for this journey is to understand why this is happening, as well as to discover who I am as an Indigenous woman, finding that voice within myself. 
What are some of the challenges that you're facing? We've got bad water. It's not safe to drink right now. Checking into the hotel. First thing that I saw was the boil water advisor. Don't get it in your eyes. Don't open your mouth in the shower. It's a reality check. How many generations has your family been drinking this water? I know of seven generations. Seven generations? Eight double loaders. We got two of them running. We've got a problem with the flow of water in that. These people live with it every single day. California in the U.S. Off the 101, you can go on either side and you can get clean water up and down. But but here on the reserve, how is it that those guys don't have clean water? Help's not coming. Never has. What's your position here? I'm the acting water supervisor. Who does all the testing? I do. How many people do you have working here? Currently two. We just got a new guy yesterday. This is where they dispose of the yeah. uranium? A lot of the Navajos that lived along it are now dead from cancer. That's why you don't hear about it. You don't want to tell us? You have to find out on your own. Water is not just a resource. We are not respecting it. We are not taking care of it. These things were told to me by the elders. Maybe in your time, you'll see this, you'll see that. I've been watching the earth and the vegetation and the birds, the insects. All of those things are telling me there are strange things happening. It's not like how it used to be. Uh, having our world premiere of Boil Alert uh, at TIFF this, like in a week or so, like we're on the countdown. I'm pretty pumped about that. And uh, yeah, I was just like, it, it, it turned out amazing. You know, I, I, I watched it the other night and I just was like wow you know like people will people will not be able to unsee this people will not be able to unhear those stories and 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 that understanding of what is the reality right now not like 20 30 50 years ago but right now in in our indigenous communities in these first nations reserves all around turtle island so we went all over united states canada West, east, north, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, it's it's interesting. Each story is different, but there you see the parallels. You see the the impacts of you know colonization. Well, and the thing that really strikes me. So when I watched this, I couldn't help but think, like, not only all over Turtle Island, you know, north or south of this crazy border, um, you've got. Native American tribes, you've got First Nations suffering many of the same things. But then you also look at water as this metaphor, but also a reality for what colonization has done to the land in the sense of all of the land destruction and contamination, what they've done to us in terms of, you know, all of the starvation rations, all of the ill health, all of the garbage that um, they want you to put into your body today. And I just think it's, it's really this documentary is going to sum up the whole, the whole thing all in one, but through this, the, the lens of water, which I can't help but think we, our body is water, you know, like our blood cells are water. Our babies come from water that it's just, it's so critical to life as we know it. I mean, when you were done filming this, I mean, even before you put the edits together, I mean, because, oh, that must have just hurt your heart to do edits. I mean, I can't imagine what that felt like, but 
what what did that what how did that change you when when it was all done all the filming was done what kind of core messages or themes did you come away with honestly the the biggest lesson that i learned is that i am enough as i stand as i stand here knowing that that sense of purpose and power that we all have we all have a gift we all have a purpose and i think that indigenous communities and and you know you think of the grandmas and the aunties like they were well, they were uh they were actually it was part of their responsibility to understand and recognize the gifts of the children and and guide them on those paths so I think that that was the biggest thing was like, I have this, I have this ability to connect with people, to let them into my own, my own struggles and to do it in a way that, uh, that inspires them to, to see, you know, see the, the, the strength in themselves. And so when it was done, I was, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I was also angry. You know, there was a, an anger in there. Um, seriously every time and uh and then i was like you know what that that anger we have to channel that into uh a, something that people can understand because if we're just angry at people all the time and we're just you know mad about what has happened uh people will not will not receive it the same way so i was like you know what that's also one of my skills is i i i'm able to be able to share this this love and this hope and this, this future where, you know, we can heal, where we can thrive, where we can, you know, reconnect with the land, with the water, and we can use that connection to actually take action on change. Uh, and I think that that was that one point in the film where I'd, you know, seen so many stories and I was like, you know what, we got to do something. You know, we gotta we gotta stand up for this for this fight, and that kind of led us out west to that journey that you you've seen some of it, but you see a lot more inside of that uh, experience as well within the film. So, yeah, I, I feel like when it was done, I was really relieved, but also a new element of fear. You know, there's like this <laughs> new element, and now that I've seen it, and now that I know the world's going to see it, there's this other element of fear, but it's like, again, you know, we feel the fear, and we do it anyways. We feel the fear, and we know that that's something that's going to change us. That's something that's going to help us to be stronger and grow, so go there, you know. Don't take the easy way. Don't take yeah. the, you know, don't take the back road, uh, but, you know, put it right out there, so that's kind of kind of where I was at. I was like, okay, let's, let's put it out there. Let's, let's make it happen. And it was done in such a beautiful way. I'm so grateful for the team that put the film together. And, you know, every scene is just stunning and, and emotional and, and raw at the same time. And it's uh, it's really a hybrid documentary, probably not like anything anybody's ever seen before. Yeah, well, I'm really struck by even just in the trailer, there's your personal journey, which itself is a story. There's the issue of like the importance of water. That's a story. There's this like commonality between all these First Nations and Native Americans. That's a story. And then, you know, I, I'm also struck by what was happening in Wet'suwet'en territory, what was the chronology of that? Had you started this documentary and then boom, everything is heating up and we're all wet so strong across the country? Or did that start first and then the documentary? How did that come together? 
Yeah, the do- the documentary started first. So um, that was where I went. I, I started flying to all these places and then came home. And, you know, my brother's like, well, they're calling, they're calling for, you know, solidarity at West and they need us to show up and they need us to stand up. And I was just at this point where like, I'm like, yeah, I'm not just going to sit here. And I'm like, let's go, let's bring cameras, you know, let's go, let's, let's capture this moment. And, and uh, I remember being at the Winziqua, the, their sacred headwaters, this river that's under attack and, uh, and putting it to my lips and drinking directly from the river. And I'd never done that before in my life. And, you know, most of us never will never will drink from a fresh source river. And it, the moment it touched my lips, it was like electricity. It was like thunder, like lightning all over my body. I was like, Oh my gosh, this water is alive. I feel it. It's inside of me. It's speaking to me. It's calling me. This is what water is supposed to be like. And why would we, why are we destroying this? Knowing my river at home is, you know, just, beyond repair you know there's no bringing it back from the pollution and from the damage that's been done so here's this river and uh and yeah it was just like this moment and this moment in the film and this moment in my life where I had to ask myself some really hard questions of what I was willing to do for what I believed in and what I knew was right and whose laws I was going to live my life by and uh and and yeah so and then we came home and there was some pretty, you know, powerful moments of when, you know, our, our nations, the Haudenosaunee and the Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs, you know, come together. And it's just so incredibly powerful. I feel like there was all these guides telling me, you know, in my life, like you, you're meant to go there. You're meant to sit with this person. Mm-hmm. You're meant to hear this story. And I'm like, okay, I keep hearing that in my head, like every single time. So it was just constantly confirming that you know, I had to complete it. I had to finish it, even when it was hard, uh, because there was a lot of personal things in the film. Um, you know, as you, as you mentioned at the beginning of the film, beginning of filming, my name was Layla Black. At the end of the film, my name was Layla Stats, and I had taken my name back and uh, separated in my marriage, and all this stuff had happened in this growth process of this film. So it's like putting your whole life out there and being able to know that, you know, it's, it's meant to be there. You know, I was meant to go through that. I was meant to feel those things. And the fact that we could, we could put that in a film that inspires people and, you know, gets people to truly follow their, their purpose, you know, for me, that's worth any amount of fear or anything. And, uh, and yeah, so I'm really, I'm really excited for people to see it. I'm a little anxious, but I also know like these stories, like you say to someone, Where's Nascandaga? And they've never heard of it before. This is the longest running boil water advisory in our country for 27 years, 27 years. And nobody knows about it at all. So after this film, you will definitely know about it. After this film, you will not forget the word grassy narrows. After this film, you know, you will know (laughs) who Molly Wickham is. You know, after this film, you will be changed. So uh, that's, you know, everything that happened in it, all the growth and struggle and, and stumbles and self-doubts, like it was meant to happen. So we're, we're here now and uh, we're like on the eve, the, the week before it, uh, it premieres. And then, uh, yeah, then, you know, I, I can't wait for, for people to, uh, to share, you know, how it, how it impacted them and, and see them 
see them take change. And like a lot of people ask me, you know, well, what, what can I do? I'm just one person. Uh, I had a grade five girl. I was doing a workshop for grade fives. And she said, you know, Layla, I'm only, I'm only grade five. I don't have any political contacts. How can I help these people? And I was like, you know what? There's probably a lot of grownups out there that feel the same way. And just you being here and you being able to hear these stories, have them change you and share your story about that change, share your action. Um, you know, when I hear something coming from someone I know and love and trust, it's it's different than if I just saw it on my own. So you kind of can be that bridge to people. And, and I think that that matters. And then, like we said, you know, showing up, um, there are some opportunities for us to rise up, to use our voices. Uh, you know, there's some really big projects that are going to have detrimental effects to Indigenous communities in Northern Ontario uh, and and our waters, you know, like if, if nothing else, be selfish for your own survival of having water. Yeah. Uh, you know, I can't, I remember, do you remember in the pandemic when we ran out of toilet paper? Yes. And, and there was like a toilet paper shortage. People were fighting over it. They were hoarding it. I mean, there was like this sense of fear and panic over toilet paper. So imagine that in your life, that's water. And it's the same thing, only a limited supply. The rich people are hoarding it all. People are fighting for it. And we're like, oh my God, that's so scary. But that's a reality. That's a reality right now in Nishkandiga. They're on a 1.5 liter water ration per person per day. 1.5 liters per day. And it's like, no, and nobody knows about it. <laughs> nobody knows about it. And you think about the social impacts that that has. It's not just their health, but their their mental health. You know, I, I sat down with the, the chief, Chris Munez, and they're in a state of emergency not because of the water, but because of the, the youth suicide levels. And that was something that in the film, I mean, in the film that really hit me hard was the, the youth suicide. And um, <clears throat> hearing these stories of kids that feel like they don't exist, kids that feel like they, you know, they're, they don't matter. Um, and we had, uh, one of one of the young ladies that was in the film, you know, ended up taking her life before she even got to see it. So it it rocked me really hard. And I was like, you know, I almost was like, we, we, got, we can't do it. Like, we can't do it anymore because she because she she, you know, she. She. Um, she took her life and uh, and then I. I just had this moment again of, you know, no, we have to do it. We have to tell her story. We have to make sure that her voice is heard in this film. And it is just a proof of the urgency of our children in these communities. And no, no child deserves to feel like they don't exist in this country. And, um, and yeah, so there are some there's some really hard moments. I you know I I cried many many times watching it over again. And um, but it, they're th they're 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 feelings, they're emotions that you will never be able to unfeel. And 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 they will they will change your actions forever and your perspective and how you operate in this country called so called Canada. Um, and you just you can't you can't ignore it anymore. And and that's what this film is here. It is an alert. There is. We are on alert. You cannot ignore this. Uh, and and uh, yeah, I'm. 
<sighs> yeah. Sorry, that was um I I always I'm like, do I do I talk about Nora? Do I talk about her? Because she was so so um so beautiful and you know we kept in touch after the film and we you know kept in touch on Instagram and um and then when I when I got that news, it was just it was devastating, but it was also like this fire in me is like, you know, she she needs to be heard. And um, you know, these kids. They need this film to be heard. They need it to make a difference. And no, Layla, you gotta, you gotta be strong. You gotta, you gotta go out there. You gotta talk the hard stuff. You gotta say the hard stuff. You gotta feel the hard stuff, so that that people get this. And uh, and yeah, so we're uh, we're we're really optimistic that this is a, a film that will change your life. Well, I, I already feel transformed just by this conversation, knowing what's going to be in it, the little bit that I've seen about it, uh, read it, knowing that what the situation is across the country and knowing that it has real life impact. This isn't some fictional Hollywood movie that's, uh, you know, all made up for glory. This is literally life and death on the ground, life and death for the planet, life and death for that, um, that poor young girl. And, you know, I'm always glad when people can show their feelings because if we care and love them and grieve for them and celebrate with them, who else is going to do it? Because historically it hasn't been, you know, the colonizers. So I think it's, it's important. I think this film is not just going to be educational. I think it's the two most important things. Yes, education, but for action. Don't just watch it and be moved or inspired. Take action. That's what transformation is about. And the fact that you have just been brave enough to go through your own personal journey and show the rest of us. Yeah, it's okay when a relationship doesn't work out. Yeah, it's okay if we make mistakes. Yeah, it's okay if we don't feel like we're native enough. All of these things are just journeys and we need to help each other along that path. And I just feel like your, your film is just going to say so many things to so many people that really need to hear it. I think this is like the spark, you know, that'll help just plant those seeds and create the change because none of us are going to be living on this planet without healthy water. And the last thing we need is for a bunch of rich people hoarding toilet paper and water in the future. So I, I can't thank you enough. I was literally going to say, what advice do you have for young kids who want to do these things? But I feel like you've already talked about that. But if there's anything else, like if, if there's young native folks listening to this podcast and wondering, Oh, but you know, am I going to be enough? Do I have the knowledge, the power, the resources, the ideas to make a film or to go into music or to be a land defender, but they're not sure? What kind of advice would you give them? Honestly, the the advice that I have for you is that you as you are are enough. We think we need all these things. We need to learn this. We need to do this. We need to, you know, I, I need to be able to say this. I need to be able to uh, have this outfit and these, these mocks and, and, you know, I, it, I need to have this gear. I've got to have professional cameras and I got to have the most $5,000 MacBook pro. Like you really, it's, it's inside of you as you are. And I think that that's what makes our story so powerful is because we, 
we tell it like it is. We we, we t- speak from where we are, uh, and there is no sort of like Hollywood hype uh, around it. It's it's real and raw, and that's where our society needs to go back to, especially in the world of you know documentaries and entertainment and film. Is back to this this reality, not reality TV like too hot to handle, but reality, <laughs> you know, of of our heart to heart moments. So honestly, find. Find, uh, you know, if you're afraid to share your own story at first, find someone that inspires you and and start working on their story and see how how simple it can be. Like if you have a smartphone, you can make a movie and you can do it. And that our our, uh, you know, our social outlets, all of these streaming platforms, they are just, you know, they really are looking for indigenous storytellers. So the Mm -hmm. time is now there's a big opportunity for storytellers that have that authenticity that have that heart and fire and desire. uh, And just seeing how much it helps these kids go through a workshop to make a five minute little story about their life. Mm -hmm. uh, You know, it gave them that validation, it gave them that that respect of each other's stories and also knowing that there was, there was power in theirs. So, you know, and and again, you know, reach out to me. I'm like a real person on Instagram, (laughs) you know, on Facebook or whatever. Uh, I'm not, you know, up there in some fancy, (laughs) fancy castle. I'm just a a chick out there trying to, trying to make, make a difference. And, uh, and yeah, send me a message. I'll, I'll help you in any way I can. I, uh, I really appreciate the people that have helped me. So being able to be someone that can, you know, just even just give you freaking pat on the back when you need it and pull you up and say, Hey, try again, even though you failed, try again, try again. Um, That can, that can, you know, save us sometimes. So yeah. Thank you so much for having me on here, Pam. I'm really, I'm really honored that, you know, you, you're excited about the film and you're you're, uh, spreading the word and, you know, I appreciate everything that you do to tell these stories, to, to be, you know, that, that amplification of indigenous voices. Well, I'm honored to do it. I can't believe I get to be a part of it. I was so happy to talk to you when we were talking about the Wet'suwet'en and 1492 Land Back Lane back then, but Boy, I didn't know that you were on this mission and what a powerful mission it is. So thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing. Uh, I'll post links to everything that I have in the podcast description, in the YouTube description. We'll share it widely. Thank you to all the listeners and the watchers for taking the time to listen to hear Layla's voice. She has a lot of knowledge and wisdom and experience and vulnerabilities and lessons to learn and really good advice. So share this podcast far and wide. And don't forget to support Indigenous creatives wherever you can. Uh, Buy tickets to their films, go to their films, buy their artwork, attend their concerts, make donations. Like there's a million ways that you can support Indigenous creatives so important that you do this because really we're all working towards saving humanity and plant life and animal life and and life on the planet so thank you and don't forget to check out warrior kids podcast it's starting a new season and the ongoing season of criminals on patrol shining a light on police criminality corruption and cover-ups especially when it comes to native people and their engagements with native people you don't want to miss those podcasts till next time Keep living a warrior life. Walalia. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting my podcast. Your donations help me keep the Warrior Life podcast open access to everyone and free from those annoying ads. 
And it's super simple. Just click on the link below to sign up for a Patreon monthly or yearly subscription, or click the links for the Buy Me A Coffee app or the Kofi app to make one-time contributions. And if you belong to an awesome community group, business, or organization that's committed to Indigenous reconciliation, consider sponsoring an episode or two, or as many as you like. Thank you for helping me lift the voices of Indigenous warriors doing phenomenal things to help make our world a better place.